You're listening to season three of the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast. If you missed anything from the previous two seasons or you missed some of the season three ones we've already done, check out the complete archive on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. I put up a new Rewatchables podcast there this week. I'm also breaking down the challenge with Dave Jacoby and Ringer Dish every Wednesday night. And I have the Bill Simmons podcast as well, where next Monday night, Joe House, Ryan Rossillo, and I will be doing the annual over-under win total podcast for the NBA season. The over-unders are a little weird this year. It's, it's a shorter season, and I'm not sure that my brain can process how to do the over-unders when it's only 72 games. I know House isn't going to be able to process it, so it's going to be some high comedy on that front. Speaking of House, we taped this podcast about Chris Weber last year, pre-pandemic. This was one of the first podcasts that we did when I was still trying to figure out the format and I wanted to do it with somebody I was close to and, and saw it worked and didn't work. And I knew at some point we were going to run it. This seems like the season to run it season three, where we're talking about, um, great NBA players who, for whatever reason, as their either career unfolded or well after their career, we started to feel like either we didn't assess them properly in the moment, or maybe we should reassess them. There's no better example of this than Chris Weber. My name is Bill Simmons. This is the Book of Basketball. Unlike Shaq, Kobe's gonna attack. Larry, she's a three, quads playing that D. LeBron hits him with that steal, and you already feel. Pass it to Luke, yeah, he's gonna juke. Yeah, yeah. It's a book of basketball, yeah. It's a book of basketball, yeah. It's a book of basketball, yeah. It's a book of basketball. Book of Basketball podcast, Chris Weber. You know when you go into a car wash and they offer you the everything package? Well, only a few NBA players are chosen every generation for the everything package. House and I were not one of them. If they screwed up even a little as basketball junkies, we're always going to hold it against them. Well, Chris Weber screwed it up. Of all the great NBA talents who never fulfilled their promise, only C-Webb didn't have an acceptable excuse. He had everything you'd ever want from a power forward, superior athleticism, terrific footwork, soft hands, the rebounding gene, the passing gene, a reliable jump hook. I always liked his jump hook house. It was his most reliable shot. It should have been his go-to shot inside of three minutes left in the <laughs> effing fourth quarter. Sorry. He even had two years of high-profile reps at Michigan with the Fab Five. Along with Duncan and Shaq, Weber was only one of three 
sure thing lottery picks in the 1990s. Well, imagine Zion only making one top five All-NBA team and never playing in the NBA Finals. You'd be disappointed, right? That's how people from my generation feel about C-Web. He was that good. He still made five All-Star teams, an All-NBA first team, and three All-NBA second teams. He won Rookie of the Year. He won a rebounding title. He was the league's second best power forward from 2001 to 2003. Better than KG, not quite as good as Tim Duncan. He submitted a three-year peak of 25, 11, and 5 for a series of memorably entertaining Sacramento teams. He earned nearly $200 million in salary, more than any pre-LeBron star other than MJ, Shaq, or KG. But he played 70 games or fewer in nine of his 14 seasons. He left two franchises in absolute shambles. Actually, three. We'll get to that later. He missed 294 games total. He battled a never-ending assortment of injuries, culminating with a knee tear in Sacramento that stole his explosiveness and forced him to tweak his game on the fly. More importantly, his younger prime swept away when he became part of two incredible what-ifs, both of which ended up in my basketball book. What if Orlando had just kept his rights? Orlando has traded the draft rights to Chris Webber to Golden State. What if the Warriors hadn't stupidly given C-Web a massive contract with an opt-out clause after one year? We'll get to that one too. One was his fault, one wasn't, but much of Webber's career came down to self-inflicted wounds. Bad timing, bad luck. Maybe seven, eight years earlier, seven, eight years later, a conventional rookie contract would have trapped him on Don Nelson's Warriors, where he belonged all along. Later on, his Kings teams, they peaked during the apexes of Shaq, Duncan, and KG, and they were involved in two of the most devastating moments of the 2000s. Falling just short against the 2002 Lakers. And when Weber tore his ACL during the 2003 Mavs series, right when the league was shifting Sacramento's way. Weber is down, and that's the worst of all possible worlds for Sacramento. Everyone forgets that. If there's a sustainable complaint against Weber House, it's this one. He wanted no part of the ball in big moments. During Sacramento's meltdown against the 0-2 Lakers, which I know you and I talked about ad nauseum, Every king, except for Mike Bibby, looked more terrified than a bunch of babysitters staring at an Annabelle doll. That spring, I wrote, quote, Weber officially grabbed the torch from Carl Malone, Patrick Ewing, Ralph Sampson, and Elvin Hayes as the high-priced superstar who's great to have on your team unless there's three minutes left in a big game. Weber couldn't get it done as a lead guy. It just wasn't in him. So what happened? Did he lose his confidence in big games after the infamous timeout debacle in college? Did his unhappy Bullets tenure prevent him from developing the necessary crunch time chops until it was too late? Or did he lack killer instinct in the first place? We can't call him disappointing because he did have a great career, but he threw away his 1990s because of ego and immaturity. And two decades later, it's kind of astonishing that someone as talented as Chris Webber hasn't made the Hall of Fame yet when, wait a second, everybody makes the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Dino Raja made the Hall of Fame. Mitch Richmond, the guy Sacramento flipped for Chris Webber in 1999, he made the Hall of Fame. 
Nobody knows if Chris Webber, one of the most talented power forwards of the league's first 60 years, belongs in the Hall of Fame. And that's on him. If Chris Webber's career was a video game, I would happily press the reset button. I would start over with Orlando keeping him, and I would eagerly see what happens. But that's the thing about real life, House. You don't have a reset button. And if you make a couple of poor decisions along the way, those decisions sometimes shape the player and person you become. I have him ranked 80th right now on the 2019 version of my book of basketball pyramid. But he should have cracked the top 40 easily in the words of Jonathan Mardukas. Maybe in the next life, Chris. All right, Joe House is here. My longtime buddy for 30 plus years and Chris Weber means a lot to both of us. We love the Fab Five. At some point, Chris Weber got traded to House's favorite team, the Washington Then Bullets. And you thought this was going to be one of the iconic guys in your life. And instead, five years later, he got traded. You were ready to drive him to the airport, much like I was ready to drive Kyrie Irving to the airport this summer. Um, your quick one sentence, when I think of Chris Weber, I think this. What do you think of? Disappointment. He is singularly responsible for me ending my run as a season ticket holder of the Washington Bullets slash Wizards. As a young professional, having just emerged from, from law school, one of the ways I wanted to spend the few dollars I was earning to entertain myself was on the Washington Bullets. And when Chris Weber arrived, it was coincident with the game plan to move the stadium from uh, uh, Landover, Maryland, downtown into Washington, D.C. I bought season tickets to the Bullets in the 1996 season, anticipating them moving downtown. And Chris Weber's arrival in Washington was coincident with me wanting to go to every game. Right. I wanted to go to all the home games. You weren't swimming in money at this point. Either. I was not. I, I was not. This may shock people. I was not in the top five of my class at law school. <laughs> I decided that I I, this, I found golf at this point of time in my life. It yeah. turned out I liked golf more than I liked going to uh, the library to study uh, well, cases. Let's go backwards though with, with Seaweb. I mean, we're going to break him down every which way possible, but when he was coming into the league, we had watched him for two straight years at Michigan back when everybody watched college basketball and 30 million people watched the timeout game. And he was unlike basically any power forward we'd ever seen before. He could rebound, go down the court like Charles Barkley and finish the play himself or pass like a point guard. But he was 6'11". He could be the center. We didn't. We weren't even sure what position he was supposed to be. He could shoot. Uh, he had his hands were just the best. That that was the thing. With, and with he him. was and he was a great athlete. And it was just like there's no way he's missing. This is going to be somebody who is going to go down in history. And I think when you hear us talk about it now over the course of this podcast, you're going to hear disappointment a lot. And it's been interesting that he's now a TV guy, and he talks about you know, this guy's disappointing, that guy, why did that guy do that? He was the ultimate one of those guys. So frustrating. Uh, you look at his career, he really only had four top 10 seasons. Uh, he made an All-NBA in 2001, and he made 
three second team All NBAs in 1999, 02, and 03. His run was basically that five year run with the Kings, which was pretty loaded at that power forward position. Sacramento playoffs from 1999 to 04, they were contenders half of those years 22, 10, and 4, 45% shooter, not great. Wasn't shooting threes like we like he would now, but I'm sure he would in a different era. Um, his peak really was the 0-2 playoffs, which was funny because that was when I wrote about how he grabbed the torch of disappearing in the last three minutes of games. He still put up 24-11-5 and in 16 playoff games and really went toe-to-toe with the Lakers in every way for the first 45 minutes of every game. That's true. Uh, there are points, if you go back and you watch that Kings-Lakers series, which was incredible, there's there's plays where he's just turning his back to the basket to try to find Mike Bibby. He's not, he's like, there's no way I'm shooting guys. Like almost like how Ben Wallace would operate. Like he just wanted no part of it. Well, he had, he would catch the ball at the free throw line and, and the, turn. The, dis, the distinguishing talent for him was his passing ability, but he never created, he never showed himself as a threat, you know? So they, they, there was no incentive for the defense to collapse and let him use that passing ability to maximize it. They did eventually and always end up getting the ball down l- low to Vladi Dottie because he was the only one that, that really had the balls to, to catch the ball and try and score inside of the last four minutes. So he played 70 or fewer games in nine of 14 seasons, and he missed 294 games total. By the way, if I get a number wrong here or there, so be it. We are going to break down his career through a bunch of categories, a little like the Rewatchables podcast, but uh, it's different. And I think we can hit every single piece of it. The only thing I wanted to just put in a context heading into it was that 5-5 team, which was uh, beloved to us. Well, not just beloved. I honestly think that the reason that Chris Webber deserves to be in the Basketball Hall of Fame is because of that Fab Five. And the King stuff. Well, I, I just the, the the combo of that he was he was he was a first team All NBA player once that matters plus the Fab Five stuff. Yeah, I, I'm. I mean, his NBA career, you know, those credentials are was not quite good enough. But the, yeah, but the the, the, the thing about uh, the Fab Five, what it ushered in, it was a cultural revolution, and that deserves to be recognized. It was a, a, a crucial moment in in like the 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 direction of uh, the popularity of basketball, college basketball in and, particular. It was all-time heyday of popularity was UNLV, yes. this Michigan team, and Duke. That that era of those three teams, and they all coincided. There was overlap amongst True. all of them. Um, and, and also, like, the first time it felt like black culture was becoming mainstream culture. Yes. And it, it was still a tug-and-war, a tug-and-war tug for another 15 years. But that was the first time white guys wanted to be, wanted to wear Fab Five jerseys and be in the Fab Five. Long shorts and black socks. We dress like the Fab Five and we're just white kids in college in Worcester, Massachusetts. For for a full decade after yeah. that. And now it was, something was happening and you could feel all of it kind of happening. And they, I feel like we're in the middle of it. And this is why I would say Jalen's obviously a good friend of mine now, but it's hard to, really explain how famous he is. I'm always, I was always amazed by that when we were traveling. Like, he's really famous because that team was really famous. And that 30 for 30 we did about them was probably the most watched one we ever did. People love that team. They love C-Web. And then the timeout happens. And the timeout in the Twitter era, I think, would have been just as cruel as it was almost 30 years ago. But at the same time, 
you know, he also traveled before the timeout. It just looked like he kind of unraveled a little bit. And he was the best player in college that year. But uh, he, no, yeah. he was. Yeah, that's true. He okay. was the most talented player yeah, in yeah, college talented, that year. Sure, yeah. I guess Leitner was probably that's, the best I was going to give it to Leitner. But, but he was okay. more talented than Leitner. Yes. But he kind of unraveled in the last 15 seconds. And I I think it hurt him in a bunch of ways. It's definitely hurt how he feels about that 5-5 five, five team. And I think it's one of the reasons he's distanced himself from Jalen and those guys because I think that timeout thing is so painful for him. But it definitely affected how he played in the NBA, don't you think? Yeah, the the uh, assessment after that was what kind of impact is this going to have? What kind of scar tissue is that going to leave? Is it going to be an indelible mark or is it something that you say you attribute it, you just chalk it up to youth? He was, was he 19 years old when yeah. that happened? And so, yeah, kids make mistakes and... We, we all just, you know, moved past it. Um, they'd already achieved the the unprecedented, incredible, never-to-be-repeated thing of going to the, you know, the Final Four two consecutive years. Well, and the first time as starting all freshmen. Right, exactly. Which was, now it's, people would be like, why was that a big deal? Like Kyle's generation, shout out to nephew Kyle. But like, oh, so what? Five freshmen started it. Back then, it was like, what the hell are these guys doing? They're going to play five freshmen? And the fact that they ran it back the next year, that that's also, you know, well, they also that kind of now. And they kind of ushered in the player empowerment era because that's, yes. a bunch of them were recruiting each other. That's right. You know, to try to get, to try to actually do this and be the five guys. So they started that. And then, uh, you so know. So that, well, that's a Hall of Fame bolstering uh, accomplishment to me. I agree. And I also thought he was... I think one of the most memorable college players I ever watched. I agree. Jalen was kind of, he became what Mike Bibby became on those Kings teams when they made that run or no two. Like Jalen was kind of the, when the going got really tough, that was the guy who was either going to come through and they kind of lived and died with him. Yes. But Weber was just so talented. Like he was just so yeah. overwhelmingly, I just loved watching him. We'll have the stats. There are going to be tons of anecdotes that we can use like this. Yeah. But but one that I recall from my time in Washington, there, there was an iconic Washington Bullets uh, playoff run against the Chicago Bulls. There were only three players in the entire decade of the 1990s that had 20 points, 10 rebounds, and six assists against Michael Jordan's Bulls. Chris Weber was one of them. Wow. I mean, the, the other two were Charles Barkley and Carl Malone. So Not you know. Sean Kemp? I guess he wouldn't have had the assists. It's the assists, right? Yeah. At least six assists. The other thing with C-Webb when he was coming to the league, handsome guy. Oh, charismatic too. Charismatic, carried himself really well. And as Mitch Album wrote in the Fab Five book, he wrote about how Weber was able to bounce between these two personalities. Like he could be super urban or he could be like the generic... Very you know, polished. Given the polished interview and talking like this, but then could shift into this other persona and go kind of back and forth between those and could really fit in with every anybody. And if you were just saying like, you know, you compare him to like Tim Duncan, KG, Dirk Nowitzki, some of these other guys that came in the league, he was easily the safest bet. Oh, sure. Just from a personality standpoint to be adjusted to the league and and he ended up having the most problems out of all four of those guys. Well, you know, that that is the, the curious case, right? Like, the, the lights were brightest on him in the Fab Five. He had two years of an incredible apprenticeship. Nobody yeah. was more prepared to arrive as a star in the NBA than Chris Webber. He was a star. He was already a worldwide basketball phenomena. Also went to high school, went to Detroit Country Day. Right. A little bit of an orth unorthodox background, but... Um, 
I guess in a good way, but unique for the NBA. Yeah, and, that's a, I mean, that's a well-to-do prep school And background. was very, both him and Jalen, if you read the Fab Five book by Mitch Album, and it's in the documentary a little bit too, were very aware of what was happening to them as it was happening. They were very aware of how unfair it was that Michigan was selling their jerseys and just raking money in. They were very aware of how much money, attention, ratings, all this stuff that team was bringing and just how little they were getting out of it. And C-Web ended up leaving Michigan after his sophomore year. Retrospect, it's crazy that he just didn't go right from high school to the NBA. It would probably would have been a better move or at least left after year one. But the, that college wasn't like that back then. In college, you were with your boys. Well, you tried to win a title. It also was the case then that there was uh, real... Um, it, it was valuable to to Chris and, and, and Jalen and all those guys to be in college because college basketball was still super important in American culture. I mean, that 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 heyday of, of Duke and UNLV and, and uh, Michigan came on the heels of the Big East, you know, Patrick Ewing. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, that just we, we there was this run where college basketball was like, you know, one, one of our top three or four sports. March Madness, that was the onset of, of the real genuine March Madness. And you and I were buddies back then in college. And I felt like we watched as much college as we did NBA back then. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially, you know, any, the Monday night Big East games, really any big Saturday game, it was on the radar at least. We're like, oh, Michigan's playing Michigan State. We got to watch that one. And then when the tournament, we just watched everything. Yes. And felt like we knew the guys. So when they lost in that first round or the first year as freshmen, and then they all decided to come back, that was a big deal to us. It was like, oh, cool. We get to watch these guys again. It also was the case that the basketball was good. College basketball yeah. was good. The quality of the basketball was was way up there. Not to do old, old guy radio thing, but. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. We're going to break through some categories that were very carefully selected and go through Mr. Weber's career. The first category is called Too Early, Too Later, Just Right. If we had to do this guy's career over again, this is for the Pyramid Podcast only. Do we wish he had come... Earlier, later, or was he the perfect time? My vote for C-Web, I actually think he was 10 years too early. Oh, interesting. I So he was in, I think, the he was the 93 draft. I think this the LeBron draft would have been the perfect time for him to come into the league. Why is that? He would have been trapped on a team 
for at least four to five years on okay. the rookie contract. Because the collective bargaining agreement changed right. in that time. The league was slower back then. He could have got made, he would have stood out just because of like the skills that he brought to the table compared to like these 89, 86 games. And then as the league blossomed over the next few years, he would have blossomed with it as it became more wide open. He would have been the perfect guy for that. And so I would say it's somewhere in the 0305 range. I wish he had been a rookie. I would have loved to have seen him in the small boy era because think about it. He would have been the perfect, if he's hitting his prime in the late 2000s, Dwight Howard's like the only center he would have to worry about. You could have played him at center. Yeah, that's true. And he would have been a devastating small ball guy. So, so that's my vote. What's your vote? I li- I think he was just right. I I always think oh, I of like it. Chris Weber as the evolutionary Derek Coleman. I I always wanted him to learn all the lessons. Like Derek Coleman was out there giving out lessons. Don't do it this way. Yeah. <laughs> I have all this incredible talent. I have, you know, the only thing holding me back is me. So like if you have that you 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 have the ability as a as a player to like learn the lessons of those who came before you. Right. And you you have that skill set that is as dynamic as Derek Coleman's. Derek Coleman was so effing multifaceted uh, and could have dominated at, at, at every level if he just could have, you know, gave a shit for five minutes. Um, and I thought that Weber, for his era, was like perfectly positioned to have taken on all those lessons and to come into the league. I love him coinciding. But here's, here's the problem with this. Go thing. ahead. He comes into the league at the precisely wrong point from rookies just being given a lot of power when they're 1920. And we're going to get into all the reasons that went wrong, but to me, he symbolizes this era of just guys making a lot of money without having to, had to earn it yet. But why didn't that stop Shaq? Because Shaq was Shaq. He was like no, one no, of the 12 best fair. guys ever. That's not fair. He was Chris, a seven foot one monster. Chris Weber was not much shorter and well, we're also get, had the potential to be as dominant. Hold this thought. So we disagree on this. I like when we disagree, but I'm going to make the case for this later. Um, so you vote, you vote just right. Yes. I say this 10 is to why 12 the, years. Uh, opportunity lost for me. All right. Here are five. This category is called five things you need to know. Number one, he's the only NBA superstar who became the lead piece in two massive 100 cent on the dollar trades. The first trade draft night. He gets flipped. The first pick for the third pick, Golden State gets him from Orlando, gives up Penny Hardaway, who's the third pick, and then a 1996 first-round pick, a 1998 first-round pick, and a 2000 first-round pick. Those picks ended up being Todd Fuller, Vince Carter, and Mike Miller. Mm -hmm. They flipped Vince Carter for Antoine Jameson, and then I think the Mike Miller pick was traded, so they didn't even end up with that one. But... At the time, three first-round picks plus the number three spot for Chris Weber. It was one of like the three priciest deals of all time. Great haul. Great haul. Great haul. Controversial. The Orlando fans went absolutely bonkers because Orlando had won the lottery. They got Shaq. A year later, they have one in 66 odds. They win the lottery again. They get C-Web. And we flipped the fuck out. We did. We're like, oh my God, Shaq and C-Web are going to be on the same team. That's right. Shut the league down. And then they traded him for Penny Hardaway. But thing is, two years later, that trade looked like the great one of the great trades in NBA history. It did. They make the finals. Penny and Shaq are like the perfect small guy, big guy thing. And they got three first-round picks. I, I mean, it, it was a, a totally fair trade. And I, I, looking back at it, I don't criticize either side. I think it was fair. It's a great trade. They all got great value for it. One of the great trades we've had. Uh, second thing you need to know. 
So he goes to the Warriors. He puts up an 18-9-4 and four that first year, 55% shooting. He was good that year. Yeah. Don Nelson's the coach. And it's a really fun Warriors team. They win 50 games. Chris Mullen at the tail end of his uh, his really nice prime. See where Billy Owens, who was good that year, who eventually became a disappointing guy. Avery Johnson, who would go on to be the point guard for the 99 Spurs and win the title. And then Tim Hardaway, who tore his ACL that year, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so they end up, they get swept by the Suns in round one. They were a six seed. Suns were a three seed. That went down as the Barkley series. Because I, I forget the whole story, but it was something about there was a Nike commercial where Weber dunked over C-Web. I mean, I'm sorry, where Weber dunked over Barkley. And Barkley didn't like it. And Barkley just rips through the Warriors in that series. And in game four, has 56 to f- finish them off. Right. Or game three, one of them. Yeah. But, uh, but that was like the great Barkley playoff series. And if I don't know why they don't show that on Hardware Classics, but Barkley just completely annihilates them. But Hardware was coming back the next year. And the other thing was Sprewell made first team All-NBA that year. Oh, my gosh. So they had just Sprewell and Weber yeah. were like two of the top 10 assets that year. I would say Weber was probably a top four, top five asset. And Sprewell was in the top 12. Hardaway was an All-NBA guy coming off the knee injury who then goes to Miami and wins a whole bunch of stuff there. Mullen was still really good. That was an awesome situation. And it's gone because he demands a trade later uh, before the next season. All right, third thing you need to know. And this is one of the reasons I want to do this pod, and this is the reason I wrote the book, or the biggest reason. Because as the years pass, we forget stuff. And his first six years were really disappointing in the NBA. He played for three teams. He put up a 20-10-4, and 51% field goal, only 54% free throw. His Mm. first year in Sacramento, shot 45% from the free throw line in 1999. Three playoff appearances, two sweep losses, and lost three to two. Did not get out of the first round for the first six years of his career. And this was not like an Anthony Davis thing. Like, he had pretty good teammates. He was in Washington for four years. First year, 54 games, he got hurt. Second year, only 15 games. Right, that was the one that hurt. Then played 72-71 next, the next two. Um, at what point... Did you start realizing this wasn't going to happen for him in Washington? At no point did I feel like it, it couldn't happen. I, I I didn't reach a, a, a boiling point with with Chris Weber. I never had a like this is a lost cause thing. My frustration with Weber's time in Washington ran um, bi directional. I was frustrated with with his immaturity um, because you know the number of of stories that popped up. He got arrested. Uh, and then there was a uh, marijuana implication, you know, there, there was a, just a, this ongoing overhang, kind of like a room filled with smoke. Right. Well, of- it culminated. There's a, we're going to get to the 1999 Sports Illustrated story, but basically talk about it, that he, he marijuana became an issue for him in Washington. That's ex- exactly right. But I also hold the franchise responsible. There was a lack of accountability in Washington with that franchise, with that, that, you know, opportunity with those three guys, Rod Strickland was effing unstoppable for yeah, a couple of years. I mean, and, and one of those years coincided with his time in Washington and Juwan Howard was an excellent third banana. And we got super lucky with Georgie Murison for a season. And don't forget Cal Chaney. Cal Chaney was on that team. Tracy Murray Harvey could, Grant. Could, could light it up. Like it was a legit Eastern conference 
playoff team. They should have been multiple playoffs. They should have been winning rounds of the playoffs. So, but it can't be the case that the franchise is derailed because they don't have a game plan for dealing with the immaturity of a player. So they were 44 and 38 in 97. That was the best Bullets team. Three coaches, Jim Lynham, Bernie B- B- Bickerstaff finished the season and Bob Stack went 0-1 between them before <laughs> the, Bernie took over. The great Bob Stack. Yeah. So one of the problems was depth. And here's why that was a problem because we didn't mention the second trade from earlier that he was involved with. When he worked his way out of Golden State, the Bullets traded Tom Gugliotta, who was a good player, top yeah. 25, An top all-star. 30, all-star. Who would you compare him to now? I guess those type of guys aren't really in the league anymore. Uh, Kevin Herter in Atlanta. He's a six foot nine Kevin Herter. <laughs> He's the evolutionary Googs. Although Googs is a better rebounder. Yeah, it's Googs, disrespectful to Googs. I mean, that's a terrible comparison. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a nice long shooter comfortable from in range from like I would say 18 feet what he if, needs to face the basket and shoot 18 feet to 25 feet how about feet. Gallo if Gallo was a better yeah, rebounder sure. Gallo if Gallo is a better rebounder so trade like Googs that. and three first rounders in 96, 90 and 2000 to Golden State for Chris Webber so Golden State basically replenishes all those picks well they had the opportunity to do anyway. that if they do it correctly yes it was, yeah. instead of 1996 they had the opportunity to draft Kobe Bryant or Steve Nash or yeah, Jermaine they o- O'Neal, but instead they drafted Todd Fuller. So the Bullets really didn't have the option to improve the team much other than what they had. But what they had was pretty good. What they had was pretty good. Yeah. It should have been better. Kind of underachieved. But Weber, like he had the pieces. As you said, Rod Strickland was really good. Rod Strickland was an All-NBA guy one of those years. He deserved to be. Yeah. He was unstoppable. All right. The fourth thing you need to know about Chris Weber, his five-year peak from 99 to 03 was really like a a sneaky, great forward apex. And that's why even though Weber, he ends up with a first team, three second teams and one third team Mm -hmm. during that whole stretch. But here's who else was there. Duncan made five straight first teams. There's only two first team spots. Garnett makes two first, two seconds and a third. Carl Malone's still around. He makes one first, one second, one third. Nowitzki makes two seconds and a third. Grant Hill makes two second teams. And then the following guys made third teams. Carter, Pierce, Mashburn, McDice, Ben Wallace, Jermaine O'Neal. So the All-NBA things, which I really like and think are valuable. Yeah. Sometimes you just end up in these moments where there's just a lot of great guys playing the same position. That's, you know? that's true. But like, I don't, I don't think that that um, makes the case. I don't have any sympathy for Weber. Weber should have been as good as Garnett. Like, we have the benefit of right. hindsight for knowing what Garnett's career was over but time. But he was really almost as good, though. Garnett was two firsts, two seconds, and a third, and Weber was a first, three seconds, and a third. Yeah, well, there should be one more first for Chris Weber in there. There should be two more, you know. He's I not, agree. He's not going to bump— I, I can't argue with that. Duncan, but— I can't know. argue with that. Um, really good forward thing. So then the last thing you need to know about Chris Weber, you could legitimately argue that he murdered three teams. <laughs> <laughs> because the Warriors, after they traded him, they didn't make the playoffs for 13 years. I mean, they they wouldn't fire Don Nelson. He wanted Don Nelson to get fired. They wouldn't fire him. And then they went 14 and like 30 yeah. and fired him. <laughs> like within within a handful of, of three months after created, trading Chris Webber, they fired Don Nelson. So they're murdered. The next good Golden State moment is the We Believe team with Baron Davis yes. and beating the 07 maps. Beating Dirk 13 Dirk years after Dirk they traded MVP Dirk Nowitzki. The, the Bullets Wizards. Oh, God. The Bullards. They didn't make the playoffs for six years after they traded him. 
And then the Kings, his last Kings contract, by the time they finally traded him in 2004, they didn't make the playoffs for 12 more years. 13, now, actually. Now, he's, he can't. From he, 05 through. He's not to blame. Oh, he is. Au contraire. <laughs> so, little background on this. This is fun. 2001, he's a free agent. Back when we didn't do free agency in June and then announce everything on July 1st. Right. Weber's in Sacramento. He's been traded there. He's not happy about it. Yeah. Team's doing pretty well. 2001, he makes first team All-NBA. They get swept by the Lakers team that is probably the second best team of this whole century behind maybe the 17 Warriors, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. when Lakers, Kobe and Shaq together. Right. 15-1 and in the playoffs. The only time they lose is the overtime game against Iverson. Yeah. So that... Summer, Weber's going to be free agent. Everybody assumes he's going to leave. But unfortunately for him, two things were going on. One was um, we'd had the lockout two years before, and then everybody was like, oh, and shot their wads yeah. and used up all their cap space. So basically nobody had cap space. And then the uh, the other thing was they didn't have the same same kind of mentality of, oh, Chris Weber's going to be a free agent in a year. I'm going to start clearing cap. The Lakers were like the only team that thought that way. So he becomes a free agent. The only team that had cap space was Detroit in 01. Indiana and Portland sniffed around for side and trades, but there's good articles from back then, including one from Scott Howard Cooper, where it's basically they're announcing the C-Web contract, which was, you know, July 22nd or July 20th, they're announcing. And it, and it, the headline is, with no option, Weber comes home again. <laughs> well, this was the era also, though. Hold on. Can I read you the, the opening line? Oh, I can't wait. Soul food restaurants. We don't need no stinking soul food restaurants. Chris Weber can build one himself now and stock the menu however he wants. So it's hey, a, that would be a controversial uh, lead you, to a piece, I don't though. think you, don't think you can up. do that one. I don't think you, that's an internet opener these days. So... He's like, Weber did not want to be a king. Um, he didn't think he was coming back, all this stuff. Isaiah Thomas, Pacers coach, says, I know he wants to win, and I don't, I don't know if he believes he can win in Sacramento. I think he wants to play with people he can win with. I'm not sure he knows how to do that. Blah, blah, blah. He's basically trying to get him. All these people are lobbying to get him. And uh, unfortunately, Orlando didn't have cap space. Indiana didn't have cap space. And he's just kind of, all right, I'll go back to Sacramento. Seven years, $122 million. And after he hurt his knee, that became an absolute albatross for them. Sure, but but it was an injury-related albatross. It wasn't, you know. I'm just saying, they were never the same after they traded him. It took a long time to for them to find their footing again after that. They made a trade that was one of the first ever double salary dumps. 2005, they traded him with Matt Barnes and Michael Bradley of the Sixers for Brian Skinner, Kenny Thomas, and Corliss Williams and all terrible contracts. They basically wow. just, we'll take your bad contracts. You take Chris <laughs> Weber. And uh, that was not a great move. So there you go. All right, next category. Most telling magazine feature. I sent this to you. You read it. There were some options. 1999 Sports Illustrated. Um, this is... This is the headline of this piece. After, after fleeing Golden State and self-destructing in Washington, Chris Weber has been soaring so far in Sacramento where he says he's ready to make good on his promise as a power forward and a person. 
Tough start. First graph. This is it, Chris Weber swears, the time and place where the mystery dies. Until now, he knows it has been nearly impossible for people to understand him because he has scattered his talent and interests, had the best worst inside of himself flash on the news and game highlights, on the police scanner, and at the end of nearly a decade in the public eye, is it added up to dot, dot, dot. What? Is he at 26 a winner? A rapper? A pothead? A spokesman for his race? A leader, a follower, a con artist? Out for his team or out for himself? A problem or a solution? That's the first paragraph of the Sports Illustrated piece about him. That's the Chris Weber experience. Then a later paragraph. But nonetheless, found himself under fire for partying too much. Um, on May 14th, they shipped him to Sacramento for Mitch Richmond and, and Otis Thorpe. Wes Unseld said he was coaching. And I think he, oh, no, he's the GM. Yeah. Wes Unseld said the next season, as the Wizards were 13 and 19, he said, We're not winning a lot of games, but there's a different attitude. While he doesn't attribute that change solely to Weber's exit, he adds, This is quite a privileged life we have. We could all work for a living. Asked if he thinks Weber grasped that, Unseld says, To be perfectly honest, I would say no. So this is my frustration. I mentioned earlier, it runs both directions, both to Chris Weber and his, his maturity issues. And, you know, we talked at the beginning of this about how the first two years of, of, of his real basketball career under the, the intense spotlight, you know, being a, a public figure immediately upon arriving in Michigan and how that seasoning should have translated, could have translated into... It should have been incredible. It should have been incredible because he had the capacity to understand all of what the the opportunity set going forward would look like, not just in terms of his basketball career, but like him making a real impact on, on you know, the the, the, the the cultural revolution that the Fab Five ushered in. And his community, which it seemed like he cared about. All, all, all of those things. And then he would act like an ass. And he, and he squandered it. But at the same time, the general manager of the Wizards conceding that they moved a player because the player was partying too much. They moved the player because they couldn't get through to the player and have him understand how to be a professional. Well, this is, this is I think this belongs to this era of basketball because the teams are so much smarter now. They understand. Yeah. They, they have the, 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 we're no longer in this era where Michael Jordan, just to, to belabor this with, with Wizards and, and Bullets uh, analogies, drafts Kwame Brown and then doesn't care about the fact that he's an 18-year-old kid who doesn't know how to do his own laundry. Right. And they just immediately expect high-level basketball performance out of him when the kid has never cooked a meal for himself. But you're agreeing with my too early, too late, just right thing. For who? For Weber? Yeah, because no, he, he came w- into the league at the wrong time where they, they didn't give a shit about protecting guys like this who He didn't were need 20. the protection. But obviously he did. But that that that's a, 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 a failure of, of both uh, infrastructure systems. I mean, Fair. It's his and, and, and the team's. And, you know... He he wouldn't be given the opportunity to fail now. That so that in that respect, I think you're it would right. be much harder later. for him to fail. It'd be much harder for him to fail. You have to really work hard. Also, to- like I do think the rookie scale was one of the three most important things that's happened to the league because it taught these guys to actually, when they come into the league, to try to develop a real work ethic and build towards something. Just 
over just being given it. Right. You know, it's like the way the way that whole system worked in the 90s was the equivalent of, you know, we both have kids. If it's like you just let your kid do whatever the fuck he wants and they don't have to do homework and just like do whatever. And it's like at some point you're not preparing them for life. It is amazing. We lived in this and in, in, we, we survived a sports era where in both football and in basketball, rookies entering the league. Were Who hadn't done anything yet. Nothing, nothing. And I like you using like my, this would be like my kid just graduated eighth grade. And he's about to enter high school. Like my daughter. Yeah. And what I'm going to do to reward him for making it to high school is give him a car and a $5,000 a month allowance. And and I expect, because he's about to be in high school, that he'll be mature enough to handle By the way, that's that. who I went to prep school with in high school. I went to half the <laughs> class was those kids. Greenwich, <laughs> Connecticut. It, yeah. was, it was kids who were just being rewarded for stuff and they hadn't done anything. Yeah. So uh, it's it's amazing to believe that that we, you know, as sports fans, had to live through that. But yes, the rookie scale had an enormous impact. It created, it eliminated so much uh, mischief. Well, we're, we're, we're going to talk about that in one second. Let's talk about something positive. One thing that's aged the best I really love those Kings teams. You did too. And it's hard to overstate how important they were for when they came into the league. When basketball from post-Jordan, those first six years, the game really slowed down. All the point totals were way down. That Everybody was just, the number of possessions were down. Nobody's shooting threes. The spacing was off. The league was really physical. I've always felt like there was a steroid situation in the late 90s that we've all agreed never to discuss, but just a lot of physical physicality and big teams and three giant dudes on a front line and shit like that. And the basketball that you and I loved watching was kind of out the window. And I remember seeing this Kings team the first year they were together. It was after the lockout. It was March 1999. I was on a... San Francisco Vegas trip with my boys Hopper, Bish, Mike Mendelson, all those guys. And we went to a Warriors game and they were playing Sacramento. And and um I had no idea how much animosity the Warriors fans had for him because oh. they booed him. And this was the old school diverse Golden State crowd sure. from, in Oakland, nineteen ninety nine, team's garbage. Yeah. The highlight of their month is Chris Weber's in town. Let's give him <laughs> shit for it was two still, hours. It was still an Oakland crowd. It was it was a fucking Oakland fuck you Chris Weber crowd. Yes. And and he it was just a really fun game. They had white chocolate, they had Vlade, they had C-Web. They're actually like doing back cuts and passes. And I was like, wow, basketball. That's the team. I knew I liked this. So your point about, you know, eras, that if you could pick up that Kings team and drop it into now, that would be an incredibly successful basketball team. Oh, and I think they would probably shoot 20 more threes. So I wrote down some of the numbers. So they averaged 100.2 points a game that year. First in the NBA. <laughs> Right. Unbelievable. I think now it's like first it was like 117, 118 points a game, something right. like that. Uh, 22.6 assists, fourth. 18.9 threes a game, first. They shot the most threes of the league, 18 a game. That would be last now. And uh, 86.1 field goal attempts a game, which was second. Then the next year, 105 points a game, first. Almost 24 assists a game, fourth. 20.2 threes a game first. Yeah. 88.9 field goal attempts first. 
So they played with pace and passing and a lot of the stuff that, you know, the key to all this was the 2004 Olympics. Right. Was when we realized that American basketball was broken and we needed to fix this. Yes. And, but this team was a little ahead of its time. Then we had the Mavs, the Nash Dirk teams. Then we get Nash and the Suns. And then basketball starts to become fun again. I love this Kings team though. They were, uh, they were first in scoring in 01 and they were second in scoring in uh, 02 as They well. had so many ways to score. Yeah. I mean, they were ahead of their time in that respect. Really, really, really fun team. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hey, there's a reason why FanDuel is America's number one sports book. It's a simple to use app, great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay, exclusive always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And if you win, they even get your winning safely in as little as 24 hours right now. FanDuel, letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Place a bet on any game. FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached. Place any bet you want. If you win and keep the cash, if you lose, you'll get your entire bet up to $1,000 back in site credit. Uh, You're listening to this probably before the Thursday night games. I kind of like the Chargers on Thursday night. You could do a little same game parlay with the Chargers money line and Justin Herbert to win two TDs. Whatever you want. Knock yourself out. If you've never tried FanDuel Sportsbook, what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started. Be sure to sign up with promo code BSBOOK so they know I sent you once again. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code BSBOOK. Disclaimer is 21 plus. Present in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable, expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. Gambling problem? Call 800-522-4700 in Colorado. 800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 800-GAMBLER in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois. 800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia. Uh, Next category, one thing that's aged the worst. Weber's last Kings contract, the seven for 122. You know, we talk about how guys move around now and every year now, basketball being a 12-month-year sport. And the biggest reason is because the contracts are shorter. And the biggest reason contracts are shorter is because of Chris Weber's last Kings contract (laughs) and some of the other ones. Because if you have somebody for seven years and then that dude gets hurt or that guy flakes out or whatever, and you're in year two or year three of that contract, it's it's a salary cap catastrophe. It is part of that. There there was this. Uh, it's h- hard to define it in in you know just a short pithy kind of way. 
but like the same mindset that that um, franchises had where we expect the kids that come in to immediately be ready to handle professional level responsibility. Yeah. It's the same mindset. Like we want to lock the, we want to lock them up. We want to have them for a long time. Yeah. Without, we want to make a like, commitment. Without really, uh, you know, anticipating, forecasting, okay, what's my downside scenario here? What's my plan B if it turns well, out? And if you're stinks? the Kings, this is your only chance to get a superstar. Right. Because if he leaves, where are you? What are you doing? What's happening? So they had to do it. And then it haunted them for the rest of that. Uh, they never recovered. They they never recovered. They made that trade in 05, and they were not a playoff team from that point on. And they, I don't think they've still made When was the last time the Kings made the playoffs? Oh, that's a great question. God, it might have been that many years. Um, all right, we're moving to a thing called Nerd Corner. It's another category. So in that Scott Howard Cooper article I mentioned earlier, they had a little graphic exclusive club, 20 points, 10 rebounds, and three assists per game last three years. There was only three guys on the list. Shaq, Seawib, and Kevin Garnett. Wow. Because all the stats were way down. Yeah, that's right. I find it hard to believe Duncan was on that list, but that's not what we're doing for Nerd Corner. Um, I looked up for their first 13 seasons of their career who averaged um, 21 and 10. Okay. Seems like a, seems like a fair good, number, good right? Good barometer. Good. Yeah. Um, and you go Elgin Baylor, Will Chamberlain, Elvin Hayes, you know, Kareem. But you're talking since the merger, 1976, where I really feel like modern basketball begins. There's only 10 guys. Moses Malone, 24 and 14. Larry Bird, 24 and 10. Hakeem, 24 and 12. Charles Barkley, 23 and 12. Patrick Ewing, 23 and a half and 10. Carl Malone, 26 and 10. David Robinson, 22 and 10. Shaq, 27 and 12. C-Webb, 22 and 10. And Tim Duncan, 21 and 12. That's the list of first 13 seasons, 21 and 10. Every one of those players is a Hall of Fame. Um, I think in my pyramid, all of those guys are top 50 except for Elvin Hayes. And C-Webb's the only one who's not. And he's... 80 right now in the pyramid. But that just goes to show you nobody was happy with how his career went and yet look at that list. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, this is the 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 conundrum of Chris Webber. And he was probably I would say out of everyone on that list probably one of the three best passers. For sure. I mean him, six, Duncan, Barkley. He could average six or seven assists uh, a season if he wanted to. God damn it. I love Chris Webber. All right. Next category, was he a one on one? So what that means is, are you truly unique? Are you an original prototype? Zion Williams is, is a one-on-one to me. I've never seen him before. Hmm. LeBron James, never really seen that before. Right. Um, Manute Bull, <laughs> never really seen it before. One-on-one. Larry Bird, one-on-one. Um, Allen Iverson, one-on-one. Was Chris Webber, when he came into the league and and then went through his career and finished it, was he a one-of-one? One? Had we had somebody like that before? I think so, because I just called him the evolutionary Derek Coleman. Like, I, 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 I mean, Webber was a better passer. There's no two ways about it. He had better court vision. I think he was a better athlete. He, yeah, he was a better athlete. I think that's right. I do think we'll see more Chris Webbers. I think he's a prototype for something that then became 
you know, versions of things we've seen over the last 20 plus years. Yeah. But I do think when he came to the league, I feel like he was a one-on-one. Even Shaq, I'm not sure Shaq was a one-on-one because we, Wilt Chamberlain was basically Shaq previous generation. We had a, yeah, we knew we, we, he was just a, he was the, uh, an unstoppable big guy, but we've, we know big guys. We know, you know, that's not a unicorn. Moses was a one-on-one for me. Moses was a one-on-one. Barkley, sure. I guess, is the greatest example of this. Barkley, the six foot four, 270 pound power forward who just could do everything and yeah. just demolishing people and dunking over centers. It was like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> All right, a next category is unintentional comedy wrinkle. I don't know if you had any uh, suggestions for this, but mine is, I think Weber recasting himself as this media figure when he's criticizing players and disappointed employers and all this stuff, it's kind of hilarious because when he's like going in on whoever, it's like, what would you have said about yourself in 1997? I enjoy it. It is the gift that keeps on giving, and you have to give it to NBA TV. That because that, that's Weber really uh, cut his chops in this media stuff. He did yeah. a lot of NBA TV before doing these national broadcasts that he's on now. We hear him on. Well, we loved him with GP that year. Yeah, we remember? loved him. The loved league him. hated it, but we loved it. We lie. I mean, if they could run that back. But there was a lot of the, you know, NBA TV does a lot of this roundtable thing where they assemble the old heads and the old heads try and do it. And they get Ernie to come sit in the middle yeah. of them. And they talk and Ernie about orchestrates. And all of those guys, this is it's this is a funny part of it. They're all Hall of Famers. They're all guys that absolutely came through in the clutch. And Weber's sitting around, well, you know, this is the point that you're making. And I I mean, it really is a gift that keeps on giving. Defining playoff moment. The 2002 playoffs. First of all, incredible series. Unbelievable. Kings-Lakers, I think, is one of the five most memorable series of the last 25 years. And if you go through the last four games, game four was LA's big comeback. They miss a shot. Weber and Vlade have a chance to get the rebound. They don't get it. Vlade bats it back. And it ends up being the absolute perfect pass to Robert Horry inadvertently. It's an in rhythm pass it's to Robert in, it's, Horry. You, you couldn't, he catches a shooting in coach rhythm. couldn't have thrown it to him better. Exactly. So there's one. Game five, 92 91, Sacramento, another nail biter. And take control of the series 3 2. Now we're going to Lakers game six. I actually remember where I watched this game because it was my 10 year college reunion. And I was there. Watching at a bar, fucking losing my mind at the Holy Cross bar because the calls were so egregious. And LA averaged 22 free throws a game the first five games of the series. They took 27 in the fourth quarter. Um, I wrote that there were rumors David Stern wanted to pull a Vince McMahon and declare himself the special guest referee. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it ended up not happening. So the Lakers win 106-102. The Kings had 31 fouls. The Lakers had 24. That's not bad. The Kings shot 25 free throws. The Lakers shot 40. Shaq was 14 for 25 and 13 for 17 from the line. 41.17 rebounds. Kobe was shot 11 free throws. And what I remember... So Weber had five fouls. Vlade had six. Scott Pollard had six. A couple of them were really bad calls. Mm-hmm. But I, what I specifically remember and will be indelibly burned in my brain 
was watching the game and feeling like something unfair was happening. I couldn't agree more. Like, this is unfair. They want the Lakers to win. And I've only felt that way really a few times in my life as a basketball fan. This was probably the most strongly I remember feeling about it. There's other times, like 1999 Knicks Pacers, the four-point play. Um, there's a Celtics Bucks 1987, that some shaky officiating going Boston's way, I'll freely admit. Bucks Sixers 01. This series, um, most famous finals one was probably Mavs um Heat in 2006, where yes. it just felt like the refs swung to those games. D Wade. And became an actual officiating crisis. Yes. This this was really unfair because they had been calling the series one way for five games. And then it was clear that a memo had been sent and then they flipped it and they just basically found out they changed the way Shaq was being defended and now you couldn't do anything and, and it just changed the series. It was, it, it was unfair. It is unfair. I don't know what the ramifications were in, in the moment, but it had the effect of making people distrust the National Basketball Association product. I didn't, I had, you know, casual fans of the game, friends, and, and it wasn't, you know, the NBA is, I think, much more popular now than, than then, but the NBA was pretty effing popular. It was, then. but there was no way to mobilize, because I remember I would- post-MJ era, so. I would write about this stuff, and especially when I got to ESPN, I wrote about this series, and I had a whole thing about Dick Bavetta and these games from 1999 to 2003, or 2002 at that point, that he was just on the court for and joking that he was like Vince McMahon's hired, hired gun and all that stuff. Dick Bavetta, by the way, was one of the officials for this game. But there was an undercurrent. It was things that like you and I would talk about. I'd be like, oh, they rigged that game. Oh, they, they got no chance tonight. Oh, the refs are clearly want to push it because at that point, the league post-MJ wasn't doing gangbusters. And I do think they wanted certain things to happen. Well, I think they wanted <laughs> Allen Iverson to make the finals yeah. over Milwaukee. I think they wanted the Lakers to make the finals over Sacramento and they wanted the Knicks to beat the Pacers. And I'm not saying they fixed the games, but the outcomes certainly matched what the NBA wanted and the calls were fucking crazy and would not happen now. All it required was what you just said, which is they start calling the game differently than how they called it leading up to yeah, that point. This game was clearly, hey, don't let that man handle Shaq anymore. Yeah. don't You can't play Shaq in the physical style that you've been playing him. Yeah. Stop it. So... It, it left all of us unhappy. And it's one of the worst officiated games. Um, here's the problem with how history has remembered this. Sacramento was home for game seven. Mm -hmm. And blew it and choked. Yes. It was a fucking Hall of Fame choke job. They lost in overtime, 112-106. But had real chances in those games. Most famously, who was the... PJ airballed and Christie hit the side of the backboard yes. or vice versa. In the fourth quarter. Yeah. One of them actually would have either won the game or would have clinched it, or I can't remember. The other one would have saved the game. Right. And they were both just all-time hands tightening around the neck. Terrible shots. Not up to the moment. C-Web in that game put up uh, 20 and 11. 20, 11 assists, 8 rebounds. Mike Bibby, 11 for 25. Mm -hmm. Took 25 shots. Well, they had to. That was a classic, like, who else is shooting? That's it. Doug Christie was two for 11. Peja was three for 12. So there are two swing guys that they were relying on. 
five for 23. Hedu Turkaloo, who was really early, young, super young Hedu, he, he ended up playing 30 minutes in that game. And, uh, and Bobby Jackson was weirdly the other guy who actually seemed like he wasn't scared. It felt like you could trust him with the basketball. Yeah. So they lost. Weber played 52 of 53 minutes. Um, and it's just like when you look at that. How many shots did Chris Weber take in that game? He was nine for 21. The, the, the tough part is two for four from the line. Like wasn't getting the free throw line at all. Yeah. And it was weird. It's like one of the advantages, and they would switch. They'd have Shaq on him sometimes. Other times they would have Horry. But you would have thought like he would be able to at least get stuff done on either of those guys if he, if he was truly going to go down low. But anyway, um, it's an incredible series. One thing with that Lakers thing, Game 7 was crazy because you had a road team winning in overtime, which hadn't happened in 20 years. You had the two-time champs getting pushed to the brink and seeming like they were going to lose in Game 4. It seemed like that series, the series was going to slip away. Game 6, there were moments then in this game, definitely. Um, you had the young Kings trying to knock them off the block, which was a little like that Bulls-Pacers series in 98. And then you had... Kobe and Horry and Bibby all playing really well. I mean, that was really when Big Shot Rob kind of became Big Shot Rob. That yes. series it had been brewing for a while. Shaq was incredible in game six. I mean, it was one of the reasons he fouled out half the team. But those four games together are really great. And you'll never see them on Hardware Classics. Is that true? <laughs> well, they'll show game four. Yeah. They are not showing game six. Game six. No scenario. If they show game six on Hardware Classics, there's been an accident or somebody's <laughs> trying to get fired. <laughs> I don't even think that's on YouTube. Oh, we got to look. But anyway, uh, and that was as close as they came. That was the closest anyone came to beating the Lakers those three years other than the 2000 Blazers when they were up 15 in the fourth quarter. Yes. Um, two things I wrote about Chris Weber. First one, this is about 2002 Game 7. Game 7, this is what I wrote in the moment. Game 7 was the single most dramatic NBA game since MJ's heyday. Just a beautiful, captivating game to watch. Well-officiated, well-played, incredibly dramatic, especially when the Kings started to tighten up. There were about 10 different points when you said they might be done or they have this locked up about either team. And the star power involved from Kobe and Shaq to Bibby's emergence to the star cross C-Web right down to all the role players. You couldn't have asked for anything more. Best of all, the better team prevailed solely because of experience and guts. That's the way it should be. I do feel like it was the right, weirdly the right outcome of the series, yeah. but I still hate what happened in game six. I don't know if the Kings had the balls to win game six in LA anyway, but the refs never gave them a chance. I, they had the balls. I, I, you think I, so? Oh, sure. Yes, absolutely. So they if, they win, if they win game six, we have a Sacramento-New Jersey finals. I, this is... And I think that was the joke with Jacko and I. That was when we started doing our joke about Turkaloo, Kittles. It's the NBA finals <laughs> on NBC. <laughs> we used to do those. <laughs> um, all right, here's one other thing I wrote. This is an extension of the... Uh, Three minutes left in a big game. Weber officially grabbed the torch from Carl Malone, Patrick Ewing, Ralph Sampson, and Elvin Hayes as the high-priced superstar is great to have on your team unless there's three minutes left in a big game. None of this was really a surprise. So I wrote that in 2002. But watching C-Web figure out ways to eradicate himself from crunch time possessions was the most intriguing subplot of the playoffs. 
Didn't it crack you up when Weber would receive a high post pass, spin 180 degrees so his back could face the basket? Quote, don't worry, I'm not shooting. Have no fear. Then desperately looked to shuffle the basketball to the nearest available king. Has anyone ever played hot potato to that degree? That's how we felt. That's what you wrote. That's how we felt After you watched it. Yeah, yeah that's right. You wrote it. We watched it and you wrote it. Next category is market corrector or market corrected. Hmm. This is the old Wesley Morris riff that we used to do about when an actor market corrects another actor. And it's like, oh man, if not for Tom Hanks, Michael Keaton's in Castaway in Philadelphia. And you do that whole thing. Okay. So was C-Web a market corrector or was he market corrected? The answer is he was market corrected by Duncan and KG. I agree with this 100%. That's right. Biggest what if sliding doors moment. This is a big category for this podcast. First one is what if Orlando had kept Chris Weber's draft rights instead of trading him? So it's weird. I love the Penny Hardaway trade. If he doesn't get hurt, if Shaq stays, that potentially is a legendary trade. But wasn't Weber kind of the ideal person to put next to Shaq? Great passer, could play the high post, crash the boards, run the floor, defend the rib. They would add Shaq, Chris Weber, Nick Anderson, Dennis Scott, and whatever free agent they signed. In a league that was becoming bigger and more physical anyway, they would have had to get a guard at some point. They needed a guard. They so I had, I had this covered. They had, uh, they had cap space in 1994. Okay. Which they spent on Horace Grant. And they also had Brian Shaw, right? Yes. So what if they spend that cap space on Detlef Schrempf and Steve Kerr? Oh, wow. And now you have Shaq, C-Web, Dennis Scott, Nick Anderson, Brian Shaw, Detlef Shrimp, and Steve Kerr. That probably that team probably wins the finals. I, Could do you think C-Web would have been happy as the Robin to Shaq's Batman? Would he have had a choice? I think he actually would have been fine with it. I, I, agree. I think part of the problem with him was he wasn't an alpha dog like that. He needed that that lesson. Him be learning that lesson early in his career like that. Yeah. Like I, I, that would have answered, that would have solved the timeout problem. I think going into, in, into a situation and be just being, having the protection of Shaq's shadow. What about the free throw shooting between him, Shaq, and then Nick Anderson? <laughs> well, <laughs> that could have been a disaster. The free throw shooting for Nick Anderson didn't start till the finals. So they ended up making the trade for Penny Hardaway. And one of the reasons they made the trade was Pat Williams said afterwards, I've never seen someone come in and do the things that Penny Hardaway did in that workout. And then not to bring up Jacko again, but we've joked about this for 28 years, 26 years. Um, we always joked about like what could have happened in that workout that Penny Hardaway, they convinced him to trade Chris Weber. And we decided he took his dick out and was making three pointers by hitting the ball with his dick. And it was going in from 25 feet. Is that possible? It doesn't seem possible. Okay. Well, it seems unlikely. Can't be ruled out. Okay. So, <laughs> So, if they keep him, I think it's a great situation for him. For Weber. They traded him. He goes to Golden State. He battles Don Nelson the whole season. They have no Tim Hardaway. So, he's not playing with like a point. He's playing with Avery Johnson, but he's not playing with the actual point guard because Hardaway tears his ACL right before the season. 
Weber wanted to play forward. Nelly wants him to play center. And they're just pissy. They end up trading uh, Hardaway for Ronnie Cycli. So their team would have been C-Webb, Latrell Sprewell, Chris Moen, Ronnie Cycli, Avery Johnson, Chris Gatling. By the way, Tim Hardaway for Ronnie Cycli. What the fuck was that? Yeah. Nice top seven. He had an opt-out clause. He opts out. Um, and then ends up going, you know, it's in purgatory there. The Western final teams from 94 to 98 were the Rockets, Sonics, and Jazz. And those two Jazz teams were pretty suspect. Mm. That was basically Malone and Stockton just hung around and outlasted everybody. Yes. If he stays in the Warriors, I do, and, and they kind of keep, and they keep hard away. I do feel like he just fired Don Nelson. That was the other thing. Like, that, why are you picking the coach over the player? That was the mistake. That was the misstep and mistake. Hmm. That's, I mean, the, the, again, it's that era. How the franchise permit the the player, you know, and 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 the coach to get to this point? Well, we're getting that right now because the second what if is what if the Warriors hadn't stupidly given C-Web a massive contract with an opt-out clause after one year? Um, this was happened after one of those lockouts or strikes or something, and um, the owners panicked, and all of a sudden the young guys had too much negotiating power, and then the other. The other bummer is that, you know, he had an issue with Don Nelson. Kind of, he's kind of the perfect Don Nelson five. It, it does seem like it. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Who is better for a Don Nelson offense than Chris Weber? Why couldn't he be persuaded that uh, that was in his own rational self-interest? So, I still, th- I still think he came in the league in the wrong era. There's one more what if. If we mentioned earlier, what if teams knew how to clear cap space in 2001? Because the Knicks made a trade a year earlier where they traded Ewing. Ewing was, remember, they got Ewing, but they took all these contracts back. It was like they had no fucking clue how their salary cap worked. Well, that hasn't changed, has it? Right. They could have, yeah, this is the start of the Dolan having no idea how anything worked there. If they had done it correctly, they could have cleared cap and been ready for C-Web in 2001. They didn't. All right, next category. Post-retirement. Was Chris Webber Barkley'd or Hondo'd? Oh. Yeah, this is fun. What's this mean? So after somebody retires, what they do to stay in the limelight ends up affecting what people thought of their actual NBA career, with Barkley being the best example. Carl Malone was like two degrees, two centimeters better than Barkley. I hate to admit it, but his career was better, but there's no Carl Malone conversations ever anymore. Yeah. But Barkley's on TV all the time. We talk about Barkley. They joke about his ever ring. It's getting compared to people. And now his career feels like even bigger than it was when it happened. Whereas it, the reason I call it Barkley or Hondo'd, John Havlicek, who, when he retired, by all counts, was one of the 10 best players ever, and then just disappeared. Nobody ever thought about him again. <laughs> And then it's like he never happened. And unfortunately, he just passed away. But this guy was one of the 10 best players of the first 35 years of the league and does not get mentioned. He's not on TV. Right. He's not doing commercials. So do you think Chris Webber was Barkley'd or Hondo'd? There's a very clear answer for this. I mean, it's obviously Barkley'd. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his... He's able to... There's a luster to him. Yeah, he's able to... To his career. He's on TV and, and... Yeah talking about stuff all the time and in the mix and people see that side and forget some of this other stuff. Well, the, the, the natural position he occupies as like the, that color role 
yeah. it's sort of, it, you know, it carries with it. There's an implied, imputed level of expertise. Yeah. That, that you know, we this is what we, we were skeptical of it. We talked about this earlier on the pod. Well, I do think he has the expertise, but it's when he gets super critical about certain people for either not playing hard in the game or not, or underachieving for what their talent was. It was like, all right, dude. So, uh, and, and I think on a, on a sort of broader, uh, analysis that, you know, I mean, we're, there aren't a lot of guys in that 80 to hundred range and we have him at 80 that, you know, we have this kind of debate over. We're, we're not going back and forth about what they could have been. Shouldn't they have been better? Yeah, he's like the captain of the what could have been all-stars. Yes. I feel like Kenny Anderson's the point guard. <laughs> he was the wrong time. Kenny Anderson is he a classic. The league at the God, wrong time. should have just been a rookie in 2006. It would have been amazing. I'm really good. That was a guy in college where it went, especially when Georgia Tech was in the uh, tournament, like we're like, we're watching Kenny Anderson. Yes. This is the most fun point guard I've watched in Absolutely. years and years. Um, overrated, underrated, or properly rated is our next category. And our last one. Okay. You want me to go first? Yeah. He's properly rated. He's 80th in your book. He's not in the basketball hall of fame. And, uh, you know, he, he's really had to work hard to rehabilitate his image. This, this, uh, 10 year, 10 year career in NBA media has had that effect. I actually think he's now underrated. I can't believe I'm saying that. Here's why. He should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Okay. The fact that he's not in the Basketball Hall of Fame when all these fucking guys are in the Basketball Hall of Fame, he's actually now underrated somehow. But I think if we're just talking NBA player only, properly rated. Okay. So So I think he's both underrated and properly rated would be my answer. That's fair. And the point that you just made... Something changed with the NBA, with the Basketball Hall of Fame. The part where they just started letting everybody in? Yes, yes. And so him not being in when they opened the doors, because, you know, the, the it's it's now the Mitch Richmond barometer. That's yeah. it. We call it, you know, as soon as Mitch Richmond... Made, Wait till your boy Antoine Jameson gets in, because that's happening. Oh, my God. Yeah, 20,000-point so, score, you're, you're in. You can call yourself whatever you want. I mean, we're going to have our memories. We know what kind of players these were. We left out, I'll do it. Maybe I'll add an omissions category because I left out one omission. He got traded to Philly. He played with Iverson. I don't remember that yeah, at all. He played with Iverson for two years, 05 and 06. <sighs> the, you're yawning now. It's incredible. <laughs> That's how I felt about that. 43 win team in 05. And then in 06, they went 38 and 44. And that was like, you know, the the thing that we should probably, this is another omission. Like, you know, he, he hurt his knee in 03 when, uh, you know, they really were potentially poised to win the title. And you go back and look at that 03 season, um, San Antonio ends up winning with Duncan, Steven Jackson, just basically just going off for a year. End of, end of time, David Robinson, too early Manu and too early Tony. And who was that guy? Speedy Claxton, remember him? Sure. And I'm getting a big free agent contract. He was out there. They somehow win a title just because Duncan's great. Sacramento, I think, both on paper and just for what they were that season was probably a better team, but he gets hurt in round two, and his career's never the same, and the Kings were never the same. 
Well, that is also appropriate to acknowledge as we go through this. It's a 59-win team, by the way. Wow. That 03 team. Yeah. Yeah, so we... I think we've been really hard on C-Web, but we should, it's, it can't be overstated that that knee injury cut short his career. And, you know, the injury he had in Washington where he played 15 games. Like, he, yeah. he missed significant chunks of his career. Do you he, know how old he was when he blew out his knee in that Mavs series? Uh, in 03? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Was he even 30? He was only 29. Gosh. So then you, he's just never the same after that. He, uh, the 04 comes back. They play, they play KG in a game seven. Mm-hmm. And that was when KG had his one great playoff run. Yes. And KG basically outduels him. And after that, he gets traded to Philly. He ends up on the Pistons. I don't remember that either. Yeah, that's the thing. And this happens a lot with players where, yes. you know, sometimes you remember the good stuff and you don't remember like the Iverson thing. Nobody remembers who's on the Pistons yeah. anymore. They just remember 01 Iverson. Kobe, they're not going to remember the last two years and the Achilles. They remember all the earlier stuff. Um, his best playoff moments were really against the Jazz. The kind of carcass of Carl Malone. He mm. had big games in game four, 2002 and game five, 2003. His 2002 stats, he had some good games. At game six, that famous Laker game, he was 26, 13 and eight in that game. And you're doing all I think was the do. only guy in the team that didn't foul out. But, um, and then he had some good, the 2002 Mavs, they beat four to one. And he was good in that series too. So he, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that knee injury, which by the way, they're down 30 in that game, the Dallas. Mm-hmm. It's the, like the end of the third quarter. I went back, it's on YouTube. I watched it and it's an alley-oop from somebody and he, and he goes to jump up for the alley-oop and just falls down. Uh, it was like the classic non-contact. Uh, but it was a game, a se- it was early in the series. I think it was game two. They were just losing. They'd already won game one. And they still almost won the series. Mm-hmm. But then after that, never the same. Do you know where he finished his career? Chris Weber, where did he finish his career? Uh, I have no idea. Golden State. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. Nine games in the 2007-08 season. So, there you go. Um, our final pyramid ranking for him. He's going to be number 80. I think he was uh, in the low 70s when I did my book, but some dudes have passed him. Yeah, feels right. 80 feels like the right the place. The pyramid's like a nightclub. Yeah. Guys get, I, I worked on it. A bunch of guys who were in the book 10 years ago, they're out. Sure. Basically everybody, 91 to 100, those guys are all gone. <laughs> you know, because we get Durant's coming in right. and Steph Curry, like we get Kawhi. We got to make room for these guys. You sweep, so you get out, out. You sweep out some of the, the that old stuff. It's like, we're not going to the club right now. You and I aren't going to the club. They want us out of there. Yeah. Uh, any last words? I think we did a, a, a very a fair job of Chris Weber. Okay. Kyle, you know nothing about Chris Weber. What, what was the number one thing you learned? That he's properly rated. <laughs> <laughs> that concludes the first half of season three of the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast. Thanks to Joe House. We are going to come back on this feed after the NFL season ends. There's just too much real life basketball and football right now. We got to get through that, get through the next uh, few weeks. And we're coming back with the second half of season three. Have a lot of good pods planned. That will start after the NFL season ends in February. See you then. Thanks for listening. Spread the word, please. And we'll see you in February. Mm